0: Kim McMillan has been a registered nurse since 2007. She has bedside experience and is now focusing on research. She approached me about coming on the podcast as she finds it is a more modern way to reach nurses about research findings. I personally love this. I find it difficult to read research articles. I find them wordy and conversational dialogue registers more with me. We discuss the nursing profession and many of the issues that come along with it at this time. Please be mindful when listening that some of the COVID and isolation guidelines are now outdated as I pre-record the episodes. I hope everyone enjoys listening to Kim as much as I did. Big Rig Brewery takes great pride in reinventing classic styles and crafting emerging ones using only quality ingredients. Be sure to visit their brewery in Canada at 103 Schneider Road for fresh pints, food, beers to go brewery tours and pinball visit their online shop at www.bigrigdelivery.ca for tasty beer mail free local delivery in the Ottawa area and free Ontario wide delivery on orders $70 and up check out the description box for beyond the bedpan promo codes hi Kim hi how are you I'm good how are you I'm good, thank
1: you. Um,
0: I want to thank you for reaching out to come on the podcast. Um, How did you hear
1: about it? Oh, uh, so interesting story. Um, I go to a local dog park. I was one of those people that got a COVID puppy. Um, and, and so was Joel Harden. So the MPP for oh, yeah. Ottawa Centre. Yep. Um, And so him and I have have it, had conversations. We're at the dog park together. I sort of dabbled in some NDP stuff. Um, and he suggested it. No way. Yeah. Cause wow. yeah, I I told him to start um, listening to gritty nurse. Mm-hmm. He always asked me like, what, can, what do nurses need right now? And I was like, do you want, do you want the short list or the long list? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I said, you know what, just start listening to podcasts that are in Ontario. And he's like, he did. He's so like, have you heard about beyond the Bedpan?"
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. A politician. Right. That's so interesting. Okay. I love knowing how people heard about it. Cause you're you're one of the first. I, are you one of the? You're the first who's reached out to me personally, who I don't know through somebody, or whatnot. So that's kind of nice. Like it's getting a little bit uh, of of attention for the right reasons. So yeah, good yeah, news. Especially
1: like a politician listening, and especially for the NDP, right? Like yeah, they're super pushing for like better working environments for nurses. So I'm glad it caught his eye.
0: Yeah, that makes me really happy to hear. Oh, good. Okay, so Kim. I I looked you up. Obviously, you are well decorated. That is a lot of letters behind somebody's name. So, why don't you introduce yourself? uh, You know your background and your education, your job, things like that.
1: Yeah. So, as you know, my name is Kim. I am a registered nurse. I have been a registered nurse since 2007. I went to school in rural Alberta, the University of Lethbridge, and I worked pediatric hematology onc for NBMT in calgary for the trajectory of my career um in clinical nursing um and then i moved to ottawa and sort of dabbled in in going back to school i was doing some clinical teaching for ottawa u and there was this idea that you to do more you needed to go back to school so i started my master's and then Like a year later, I found myself fast tracking into a PhD (laughs) and had no idea what I was signed up for. I was still working clinically for the whole time of my PhD. Um, And then partway through, I left clinical to start teaching at Algonquin. So I was teaching in their undergrad program for four years. Uh, and then just during COVID, actually, my I transitioned over to Ottawa U to, to do more research, nursing research. I'm super passionate about nursing work environments um, and nursing mental health and well-being. So that's what I get to do now a little bit more is do some research. And I started there during COVID. <laughs> my interview was March 5th. So the week before Ontario shut down. Wow.
0: Yeah that's amazing. You, you said one thing in the email to me that you wanted to make research more relatable. Yeah. I I love that because I really like hearing about research, but I I can't read those articles. They're so long and they're, they're difficult for me to read anyways, to really yeah. follow it. So I like, what are your ideas then to make it more relatable?
1: Oh, podcasts. I've been doing podcasts <laughs> a lot lately. Um, it's so much fun because it's, There's not this high pressure to like publish a paper. And like the, and COVID's made it really obvious that like knowledge translation, the way it stands now in academia is super antiquated and outdated. Yes. Like people don't have access to evidence, like all these publishing companies charge for it. Mm -hmm. Like open access is quite new and it's super expensive on our end, like to publish one article is upwards of three grand. Yeah. And that's coming out of my pocket. Right. Um, so like, it's just easier to disseminate and it's more fun to just chat about research. It's more authentic. And I think it reaches the audience. It's actually supposed to,
0: I couldn't agree more that it's so true, right? Like we want to get this information out there because the research that you do is important. But are, are people who are at the bedside and on the front line, you know, are, are they going to pay for the article and are they going to read it or how are they going to know about it? But if you get a little bit more mainstream
1: in the media world, I think you will reach more people. Yeah, media has been great. I did. Um, I was on The Current in the summer okay. with Matt Galloway uh, around mental nursing mental health and burnout and that garnered so much more like public attention and that's the that's who needs to hear it like it's great it's part of our job that we have to publish we have to do all these things to prove that we're an academic um but like I don't expect a nurse to want to read a paper after a 12hour shift I don't expect them to have the cognitive wherewithal after a 12-hour shift with the state of things now yeah and and like journal clubs are cool but you're not given time within your workday to participate in those sorts of things. Like, again, it just puts more work on nurses outside of their work, which is already, um, really draining and exhausting. So this is just a fun way to like make research a bit more normal and Mm -hmm. like a bit more applicable.
0: I I, I like that you mentioned journal clubs because a lot of people may not know what that is. We, uh, when I worked in the ICU, we had a journal club. So we'd meet, was it once a month, I think, and there'd be a topic, um, And someone who would volunteer to run that topic and then the article was posted in the break room or sent out over email but when you show up for journal club uh, the person who was in charge of it just presented it a lot more casually like this and it was really interesting and the doctors would you know provide dinner for that day Um, but you hit the nail on the head where we were coming in on our own time we weren't paid for that um Now was it, was it seen as social and, and fun and educational? And we, we enjoyed doing it. Absolutely. And it was voluntary. We didn't have to go, but part of learning and keeping up to date should be part of the job.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Pay a paid part of the
1: job. Yes. Especially like nurses have to know so much and there's so much that changes so quickly. And even like, our CPR isn't even paid time like come on <laughs> That's crazy. Uh,
0: it depends on your agency we get we yes. get paid an, an hour for it. Um,
1: but yeah not everywhere does. No and I've seen like in the last 10 years a big decrease in um available funding mm-hmm. right for like pals um specifically pals is the one that I make reference to a fair bit. Um, like nonviolent crisis intervention things that really help um and there's just not enough funding and there's just this weird expectation that well if you need it for the job you'll do it at any sort of cost
0: yeah Uh, at what cost that like leads us to the ethical part (laughs) so when you started in March right before the pandemic what kind of work and research
1: were you doing so um prior to that I was just sort of getting my program of research up and running I just of finally i finished my phd in 2018 and then threw myself into teaching um so i was super interested in looking at moral distress nursing ethics um institutional ethics so the role that institutions have in it, what's their ethical commitment to us as nurses um interesting yes and then COVID hit and so all of my research was COVID. um i've done essentially nothing but covid research sits around nurses nurses and their work mm-hmm. and how it's been impacted by covid so i did some work with palliative care nurses around visitor restrictions which is heartbreaking and yeah. we did that over almost a full year so it was really interesting at different time points and different waves to see like just the decline in nursing well-being and like the decline in collective like empathy um towards nurses around enforcement right so nurses said at the beginning um that families were so great and they were like we get it these are not this is not your fault and nurses circumvented and you know made it happen especially at end of life they were really creative I think is the best way to say that yeah um in engaging families at end of life but as sort of the pandemic waned on, nurses were both way more tired. So fighting the system daily to allow or to get visitors in became really exhausting and families were just so over it by the third and fourth wave that they it tended to seem that they weren't as compassionate with nurses about it too. It's just, I mean, yeah. everyone's just like, it's just so exhausted with this. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I find the patients, um. Patients was wearing really thin on the end as, what do you mean I can't come in, especially once people started getting vaccinated and whatnot. Um, I, I just, I don't think anyone ever would have thought that they'd have to say goodbye to their mom or their dad or their partner on an
1: iPad. Yeah. Oh, and it was just devastating. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, some of the stories just broke my heart.
0: I had uh, one person who was was dying, and they weren't. It wasn't a COVID patient. Um, it was just at the end of the third wave. Everything was kind of dwindling down, and it was a, a non-COVID patient. I can't. I don't want to say a regular patient, <laughs> um, but the family was coming from overseas, and that was the problem: is all the restrictions. And you know, I had to be. You got to be careful what you say to families as a nurse, because there's a lot of legal. trouble you could get yourself in and i ended up just being really honest with them and i said to be honest i i don't think you're gonna make it coming from where they were coming from they're very far away and i said what i can do is you know why don't you get comfortable at home with your family instead of fly like they hadn't even been cleared by the canadian government yet like it was it's a process to to fly to see family and I said, just just get comfortable, stay in your house. I'll get the iPad. I had to fight my ward clerk for the charger. They were like, you can't take that. I'm like, I'm taking this. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, the, the family watched watched the patient die on, on FaceTime. And um I, I think that that's better than them missing it altogether by being yeah. in the air, but it it still was just they they might have been able to fly sooner. With less restrictions, you know, and the whole thing was just really hard to watch because ev- everyone understood why and agreed with why, but it doesn't make it any
1: different. And it doesn't change like what that does, both to families, but also to nurses. Like you'll remember that forever.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll remember that forever. It was really, it was really sad, really, really sad. And you know, at the very end, you, on a monitor, so you can kind of see things coming to an end, and gotcha. you'd go in and make sure, like, you know, normally you're offering them Kleenex and giving them hugs, and this time I'm, I'm just like, okay, I'm here with her. I'm holding her hand, and you know that she's not alone, and you're here too. So it was, it was weird. It was really, really strange to do that, and that was happening a lot. You know, those. We actually had someone in the unit who was designated. As the iPad person.
1: Great. Yeah. And I they, love that you have that. That's the first time I've heard that because one of the things was like nurses wanted to do that so badly, but they're like, we are so busy already. Like, it's like, we need a, a nurse just to do this and be like the communication nurse for these yeah. families. It wasn't
0: a nurse. It was, uh, I don't, I don't know where this person came from. Just appeared one day. I've never, yeah. never seen them since. Um, but they came in and they would co- go room to room and ask uh, booking for the next day in half an hour time increments. And they'd show up, set up the iPad, connect it, attach it to the like wherever, face it to the patient and then leave. And we ha- we did nothing unless the family were yelling out for questions or whatnot, but yep. we did nothing. And then after half an hour, he came back and disconnected it and off to the next one. Wow. So it was, it was nice, but it was weird, you know, to, yeah. it, it's just, maybe it's something we should implement more often. You know, there's a time and a place for it for sure. Yeah. Um, Can you go in a little bit talking about nursing moral dilemmas with
1: COVID? Oh my gosh. Like, where do you want me to start? Well, we could talk oh. about this all day. <laughs> I know even just like, I, even just the start of it, like, I spoke to nurses that were living in their garages. They were living in hotels because they were terrified to bring COVID home because they didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. Nobody really knew. Um, And just the distress of like not being able to be with your family and the fear of getting them sick and, oh, and then their own fear, right? Like there is that moral distress of like, yes, I'm a nurse but like, did I really sign up for this? <laughs> right. And like, how, how do we balance our own personal safety with the needs of our patients? And, and that can be distressing, right? Because you want to look after yourself and feel safe. And with the whole mask debacle, like nobody knew what was going on with masks. You didn't have enough. There were so many conflicting policies around N95s, simple face masks. Is it aerosolized? Is it droplet? And Okay, let's all wear N95s, but let's reuse them and let's talk about sterilizing them, past expiry dates. And like that is so distressing for nurses because we're taught, unfortunately, I think that needs to change, but we're always taught to sacrifice for the patients. But like, what's yeah. that threshold?
0: Well, we're at the threshold. Um, yeah. you know, the the great resignation is what's happening. Yeah. And someone just told me that term the other day and it blew my mind. I was like, that's exactly what this is.
1: I haven't and, heard that. The great resignation. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've only heard Exodus. I think it's an American
0: right. thing. I right. think uh the nurses in the States came up with it, but like people will just think now they kind of relate our nurses anger and quitting to bill 124. Yeah. But they, they don't know the other stuff that we have to do. Oh. You make a really good point about Reusing masks and not being super clear about what the standards were. And fair enough, no one really knew at the time. Yeah. But to be on the front line yeah. and not be really confident in our safety and, and our PPE, yeah. that's really hard. And that's the first thing. And I think that's when a lot of nurses' eyes open to say, I'm not sure I want to do this job anymore. Yeah.
1: I just, my dog just has a piece of plastic. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to doing things from home <laughs> um yeah and I, that was i mean we already know that before covid like c- what covid has done is just shone the light on very very deep cracks uh within the profession within um healthcare in general and like that um we did like a big mental health study across canada looking at nurses it's still happening but it was sort of half the data was there before COVID, and then COVID hit, so we obviously started integrating COVID questions. And so many nurses said, like, that was a breaking point. Like, it, I was already not doing well, and that just put me over. Like, not being denied vacation. at Obviously, Bill 124, especially in Ontario, is, is um, just like this really big reminder that, government doesn't really value us
0: (laughs) not our current one that's for sure no exactly
1: yes yeah and I think for nurses they just said like enough is enough this
0: is this is an enormous problem that so for for right now in current times this is how it's affecting us if you want to go or if you need to go for a COVID test right now you can't there's no there's no bookings um at brewer right now and until it's seven days from now. And yeah, and the reason being is because so many people are symptomatic yeah. and there's not enough staff to do it. And this is just one small inconvenience. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I could have booked a COVID test and gone either later in the day or the next morning. And what happens if you're symptomatic and you need a COVID test? You have to stay home. Yeah. And People work and not everyone works from home and life goes on for everybody. But when you're having to wait two days is tolerable. When you have to wait seven to nine for the results to come back, um, that's not sustainable. And this is a nursing issue, right? Because it's well, and, and it's, it's probably staff in general. I mean, I know there's lots of people who can take, can administer PCR tests, but you need, you need lab techs to process them and you need yeah. people in healthcare to do this type of stuff and they're not there anymore because we're so burnt out and drained and have moved on to something better. You yeah. know, I see people working at home and I'm like that seems really nice. Like what can I do <laughs> with my career that gets me to work from home? I mean I get to sleep in an extra hour, be home more to spend more time with my kids. I'd actually mm-hmm. like don't have to worry about what I'm going to wear that day or doing laundry. Like there's so much, even just traffic, traffic alone. So people are, are feeling the pressure and finding something elsewhere, which is not good in
1: the long run. So, and even like traditionally what we see really is like, um, or what people assume is that just, well, we just need to replace the nurses that are retiring. We've got all the boomers (laughs) that are retiring (laughs) But like when you actually break down, like the statistics around who's leaving early and mid career are leaving at the same rates, which Mm -hmm. is super alarming. Like new grads are leaving. The highest rate of attrition is year two to five. Mm -hmm. Like that's crazy. We're in trouble.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we are. I, I had someone come up to me. She sent me a message and she said, I Appreciate you getting the word out there, normalizing how difficult it is in the profession right now, but I feel like I can't complain about it because I only have a year experience. And I was like, no, you are absolutely, you are the person to complain about it because if you are having trouble at one year in, that's bad.
1: Yeah. And a lot of them, um, like obviously our COVID grads, lot, they miss so much clinical A lot of them missed consolidation, especially coming from the GTA area, like it was locked down there and they're not being given extra orientation. If anything, because we're in such a situation with like chronic staffing shortages, they're being pulled from orientation sooner, which is terrifying. I did a new grad, I did a pilot on new grads for Ontario and that's all of them were just, they just didn't feel prepared. And then they're, they're always like, they're, they're grateful for the nurses that are there, but they said, we also see how burnt out they are and their capacity for mentorship isn't probably what it was five years ago. So we're struggling too, because we're not sort of getting the mentorship that we need, but we're not going to ask for it because they're, we see how burnt out everybody is.
0: Yeah. That's tough. I can't imagine, you know, going to starting school four years ago, you're all bright eyed and bushy tailed and think you're going to, you know, save the world. And then the pandemic happens. And then you're, you know, it's, it's a different kind of world that you're entering that you, you didn't plan on entering that
1: world. And that's a lot of what they were saying too, is like, I had to reconcile that this is, I had an idea of what my nursing start of my career would look like. and, And it's not that, and I'm struggling. And like, for those students that went through the college system, Those graduates also went through strike. We were on strike for five weeks in 2017 across the province.
0: So like they've
1: been through the ringer. Yeah.
0: I didn't even think about that.
1: Yeah. They've had a heck of a degree.
0: So how are you finding, uh, you know, is there any other findings with the new grads that uh, other than burning out and, and how they notice the older staff are like, is there any
1: other things that stick out? Now, what's really cool is, and, and this might just be the cohort that I interviewed. So, the way that like sampling happens, like I think they just kept passing it on to each other to be like, hey, do you want to participate in this? It all wound up being our second entry students. So, the ones that already have a degree, and then they just do the two year, it's only nursing courses. So, that's who I interviewed mostly. Um, and they were so, so good about boundaries. Half of them had already left their first workplace. Wow. Because they were not putting up with it. They had, and what's really cool is they were like, they could set those clear boundaries. They all prioritized mental health, their own mental health and well-being. Unfortunately, all of the ones that left, left the hospitals because they said those were super toxic. They weren't supportive. Um, And because of COVID, like because we've needed such a strong public health response, they're just like ample public health jobs, even if it's um, assessment sites, so doing mm-hmm. testing um, or doing follow-ups with case management out in the community. But not one of them ever considered leaving the profession, which That's is so good. cool. They're yeah. too very much like, I know that I want to be a nurse, but I know that it's not in this specific hospital. <laughs> so they just kept looking until they found it, which normally what you hear is, Um, I don't like it. I'm going to leave the profession. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping that that's shifting that like nurses value the profession, but understand they can differentiate like this workplace is terrible, but nursing isn't terrible.
0: And that's exactly the mind frame that we need to change the profession for the better to improve it because that, and that's part of this podcast is to interview people who do different things. So, you know, Uh, Yes, I'm raising awareness for the public to learn because they're the ones who we need to vote. Um, But I'm also trying to raise awareness for nurses who are doing something they don't like, you know, they can maybe hear from a cosmetic nurse and hear what's going on. Maybe they'll listen to you and your research and how passionate you are about it. And maybe they'll want to take that direction, you know, so there's, um, there's so much out there that is not hospital nursing. And, you know, it, it. you may get into the profession and you may be like, I hate this. I am going to go do something else. But if you know about other options out there, you might stay. And then when you start going to different employers and saying, Oh, I'd love to work for you. However, I, I need this, this, and this, then suddenly it becomes a little bit more of a bartering, even playing field. And, you know, we're in demand. We should be calling some of the shots. You should be interviewing your employer and saying, you know, What do you offer me?
1: So true. And that's what I'm telling these new graduates. Like you should be asking, um, you know, uh, what is your attrition rate at this hospital? And if they can't tell you that, they're not paying attention. Um, And, you know, what are the supports in place for nursing, mental health and well-being? Um, What is your and and I know that these EAP programs are most of the time inefficient in managing long-term mental health issues it's more of like a band-aid solution but those are important questions like what does your eap program look like um how do you support nurses you know during such difficult times and nursing is hard mm-hmm. and so what are you doing to support us in that hard work and if they can't answer it i wouldn't work there that's yeah. obviously hindsight because as a new grad you're terrified and you just want a job and you don't i'm hoping that that will shift like when i was a new grad I did not ask those questions. I had it in a portfolio that I was supposed to ask, but you're terrified. You're just like, give me a job.
0: (laughs) Yeah. When I started nursing, there was uh, a lot of part-time positions. Full-time was very few and far between. And I got offered a full-time and I took it immediately. I didn't apply anywhere else. And, you know, I, I was happy and I, I liked it. And I, I wouldn't say that I needed you know, that I regret it, but looking back, I didn't know where I work had any of these programs, you know, and it definitely wasn't part of my orientation. No. so I had no idea, you know, and I think it's so important that people go into the workforce now knowing that they have options and that they can say no and that there's lots of jobs out there for you. You know, you could walk into any hospital, any public health agency right now, and they'd probably just offer ask if you could work that shift you know, like there's, and they're so short staffed. So we're in demand. So yeah, you can be picky.
1: Yep. I even heard on the news like last week or the week before, um, that there's like new apps for like contract nurses where it's like Uber, like you pick up a ship. Really? Oh, I'll have to check that out. That's interesting. Right. And part of me wonders, it's like a new version of agency nursing. And part of me wonders if that's, Obviously, because we want more flexibility and we want more control. Like we want autonomy over our work. We're always told, it's drilled into us that we need to be the strongest advocates for our patients, Mm -hmm. but we also need to do that for ourselves. And like, are we at a point, are we at a crossroads where that's what nurses are doing now? Yeah. Like they're choosing when they're going to work. I've had um, old colleagues be like, staffing, if you're calling me, I am asking you who was on shift. And I will make the choice if I'm picking up or not. Like, I'm not coming in if I'm the only nurse from our unit on. I'm not doing that. Because yeah. that's unsafe and it's way too stressful.
0: Yeah, that's or that's a good point. You could ask staffing, well, you're calling me, but, you know, how short is the unit? If I'm coming in, are we still going to be three nurses short? Am I still going to be working in a,
1: you know, a disaster zone? <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. That's
0: and so I wonder if...
1: Like those apps, if it's also a way to like protect ourselves from that like moral and ethical distress, because mm-hmm. like float nurses will say it, I go in, I do my job, I leave. I don't have to deal with the politics. like obviously there's those distressing moments with patients that we're not we could never be immune to, regardless of what kind of nursing we're doing, but like the stress of the institutional politics. Mm-hmm. And so if you can just pick up a shift at any hospital at any time and just walk in and do your job and leave, Mm -hmm. like how de-stressing would that be from an organizational perspective? You don't have to buy into the politics of it.
0: Yeah, the politics of the job is is really, really hard for some people. Some people love it. Some people have a really hard time with it. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like knowing what's going on in, in the hospital, but I also, I don't want to be at any of those meetings.
1: <laughs> because you're not <laughs> that paid to those meetings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're on your days off.
0: Well, even, okay. So for example, something that really bothered me, um, when there's a COVID outbreak, we are dealing with phone calls from occupational health emails at all hours from, you know, the, the powers that be and have to go for testing. And twice, I'm not paid for a dollar of that. And that was like, because I don't, I never have my ringer on. So I was missing a lot of phone calls from occupational health. I'm going back and forth. And I'm like, why can't you email this to me? And then, you know, the driving to the testing center and waiting for the results. And then because I've got tested now, all my kids have to stay home because we're waiting results, they don't pass the screening to go to school that day. And I'm just thinking like, where's my where's my compensation for this? Like, where's my paid day to go get tested twice? Because I've had to book a test, I've had to drive there, I've had to find someone to come watch my kids or drag them all with me to go get tested. Um, I've lost out on money that's, that I pay the day for daycare. Um, and the kids have lost out on two to three days of school.
1: Yeah
0: but I get nothing. So I'm i I'm not getting danger pay. I'm not getting pandemic pay. And now I'm not allowed to go to work and I inconvenience my entire family and have to spend two days going for testing. And they haven't even talked about paying us for that. And our union probably won't bargain it. And we're so limited with what we can do anyways because of our government. So yeah, that's recently something that's really bothered me. And if I'm thinking about it, a lot of people are thinking about it.
1: Yeah, of course. And this was like, before we sort of used to just like talk about it, like, hmm, should I be having to do this education day on my day off? Or should I be having to do these modules from my couch at home? But like COVID has really sort of exacerbated the amount of unpaid work that we're doing as nurses. And like, where does it stop? Like, that's crazy that you have to do all of that and you're not paid. Yeah. Like, that's like a day's work plus your childcare and like what what other universe would that not be paid for? And I
0: could see it if it wasn't work related, but it, but it is work-related, you know.
1: Because of the work that you do.
0: Yeah. Oh, I could talk about that part all day. And it's it's on my mind. It's something I want to bring forward and be like, you you gotta pay people for their day if they've been exposed and they need to go for a test, you need to give them four hours. You know, uh, let's be fair. I don't need a full eight or twelve hour shift for that, but you should be paying me for. Yep.
1: Oh, you know? I totally agree.
0: So, and you know what? With all the short staff, like they they could do it. They could do it.
1: Oh yeah, they could. It's not. I've always said this. It's not that we don't have enough money in healthcare. It's that it's used incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Like, like no offense to CEOs, but why is the CEO of a public health organization making half a million dollars a year more than that exactly more than that that's your entry (laughs) level right like why and and why do why are half of our new hospitals architecturally designed for half of them to be office space Mm -hmm. what we (laughs) we have patients in the hallways and you're building half a hospital full of offices there are better ways to do it (laughs)
0: And this drives me nuts, too, because there's jobs that were fine to work from home during the pandemic. So use that space for patient care. And I, okay, like we can put beds, beds everywhere we can. If there's no nurses, we can't fill them. Fair enough. But you could make the rooms bigger the ones that you do have, the ones that you can staff, you know, we can have nicer, bigger rooms, like especially in our city right now, we're redesigning a brand new hospital, we're building one from the ground up. So let's maybe not go so office space heavy, and use that space for bigger rooms for the beds we already have and can staff. And the people who do phone calls, and you know, your HR, your Oc Health, maybe not all Oc Health, your uh, discharge phone calls and follow ups, things like that. Why are you doing that from home? Like, why do they have to be on site? They don't have to be, but it's such a culture that you must come to work. But I know when I've been able to work from home, I've been a lot more productive.
1: Yeah. Well, there's less, way less distractions. I mean, unless I also don't have children. So, <laughs> I mean, with COVID and then being home all the time, uh, my productivity would probably be a bit challenged. But like a normal day to day outside of a pandemic. Yeah. Like, and the whole idea of, and this is completely a sidebar because nurses in hospitals, we work 12 hour shifts normally, but like the idea that we need a full five hour work day or five day work week to get everything done is bogus. Like there's so much research right now around four day work weeks. Yeah. So it's like just this culture of going to an office five days a week. Mm -hmm. And I think COVID will sort of dismantle that because people maybe. Will want to stay at home. I hope so. But I hope that doesn't so. mean that we can just flip our hospital offices into patient rooms quickly.
0: Right? <laughs> we need so. to staff the patient rooms. <laughs> exactly. But I do think allowing some flexibility will draw, will have some appeal to the job. And, you know, maybe you work. why does it have to be so clumped together and I'm not saying like no one is ever going to all be on the same page with this but I like I'm someone who has previously worked on two units and I would love to do you know two 12-hour days and then maybe for the next you know have a day off and then maybe my next day I do an eight-hour shift from home doing something else you know why can't we I, I know our union currently says that we can't hold two positions in the same unit, but why not? Like it's, it's just so much control and, and, and politics about it. When people might be a lot happier if they could apply for two spots and not work nights or weekends, you know, or, or maybe they love to work nights and weekends because they like to get away from management and stuff like that. So maybe there's two spots that they can do that too. You know, and I think a little bit of change for people is good. I think sometimes say you, you had a shift on the floor and then ne- the next day you had shift in, you know, uh, pre-op doing interviews and taking blood work. You know, the change of pace, I think, is good for people. Um, I mean, I can't speak for everybody. I speak for me. I like the change of pace and it keeps your skills up and you develop new skills as well. So they they're going to have to find something that's flexible to be to make it appealing. Do you have any ideas on making the job
1: flexible? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Well, I think our collective bargaining needs to change. (laughs)
0: Like, I
1: just, (laughs) um, I'm so happy that we're unionized because just imagine if we weren't. A female-dominated profession that is publicly funded, not unionized, we would be in a terrible position. But it does make rules very, very strict and black and white. Right? And and I would love, like, if I could go back to clinical and, you know, have safe staffing ratios and and have flexibility in my work, oh my gosh, what a dream, right? Even the collective agreement and, and certain powers that be is why I still, I can't practice because I don't meet the hourly competencies to be a casual nurse. I would give nothing more than to work shift at my old unit once every couple of weeks mm-hmm. but it's not possible like it's it's not within the scope of that collective and it's it's a no-go which sucks so bad because how cool would it be for me to just like dip my foot back into clinical again
0: that's interesting so we're short staffed. there's people who want to work but because of the
1: union agreements they can't yeah and just the the idea like what it's the comment that I got when, because you know how if you're casual, I don't know if you've ever been casual, but if you don't work X amount of shifts within X amount of time frame, they sort of send you a letter to say you have to resign.
0: Oh, no, I've never worked casual. They did.
1: And, and I said, well, I just can't because I'm teaching full time and it's just I can't meet these expectations. Um, And the the narrative was sort of, well, we don't trust your compet- your clinical competency. Oh, like, Well, like because I didn't work for a month, that doesn't negate the last thirteen years, fourteen of clinical experience. Yeah,
0: but then the new grads that come in, they're pulling them out of orientation and sending them off on their own. Yes,
1: like and even in terms of there's everything is so inflexible, and if nurses had more autonomy over their own work, I think there'd be a much greater level of satisfaction, which equals retention. Yeah. Retention I don't know what that important. looks like, but like working a few days on the unit, we know that inpatient acute care units are like, they're the highest stress. And then balancing that with a day in clinic or, you know, where you're not providing 24 hour care and the, the acuity is less. I yeah. think there's opportunity for that, but it is highly um unionized and that that would the, the wording would have to change and there would be uproar <laughs> mm-hmm. but I think it's worth considering
0: what they could do is so they do this in emerge, um is they balance it so you'll do one shift so out of your four you'll do one shift in uh you know urgent care which is you know broken bones blood work in and outs kind of the clinic part. And then you'll do another one in emergent, which is a little bit more serious, you know, your strokes, your heart attacks, people are on a monitor. Then you'll do the next one um, in OBS and then the next one in recess. So you're getting a variety of things. And whenever you leave that day, you're for the most part, not coming back to the same thing. The continuity of care is important. But at what cost? Because sometimes that continuity of care is what destroys the nurse's mental well-being yep. and or physical well-being. You know, there could be some really heavy patients that are difficult to do. So, yes, we're we're providing the same nurse as best as we can to the patients, but that nurse could just as easily call in sick the next day and have someone else. So is it better to transfer? And then what the what the units could do is they could have a, like a medical unit. So you're hired in the medical unit. And maybe that also now includes medical daycare we are giving IV infusions on an eight hour shift, yeah. you know? So there, there is ways that they could get around it, but either they don't have the ideas or maybe they'll listen to this podcast and they'll get. Some. I hope so.
1: <laughs> well, isn't that like the natural, I don't know. Um, but for us, like in the, in the oncology world, like that's the natural trajectory of your career. You start you put in your time, quote unquote, in acute care, then you buy your time, you build up your seniority, and you go to day clinic. And then from day clinic, you go to case management. Like so there it is like this really weird hierarchy, mm-hmm. which in part a lot has a lot to do with seniority and the way that the unions um, organize seniority and that the institutions do. but like, what if we could just start where we wanted to?) <laughs> <laughs> And, and and dabble in a few things, because you need the same uh, knowledge and expertise for all three of those areas, mm-hmm. right? You you could easily do all three with a very little, It's if you have the knowledge, it's just figuring out how the unit works, because that's going to be a little different. That's true. But that's and, logistics. Like, you and, have the core nursing knowledge and competence. It's just like, oh, the orders are processed this way, not this way here that's not hard to
0: learn. No, that's, you pick that up in, in one day because it's, it's true. There's sometimes with seniority, you know, when I've been the the senior person to get the job, then that's great. Um, But when you're up against someone else who's more senior than you, it's, it's not fair because maybe you, maybe you do come, you know, they like your personality better. They like your work ethic better or, but it's it's just so political with seniority and is there any even any point in applying for that job if it's at a day clinic and i'm i have under 10 years experience like yeah probably not and i don't know if that's fair i think people should be interviewed fairly and get the job
1: that they deserve and not just because they've put in their time yeah what i've seen in the past is um so if there's like a long list of applicants i've seen employers just choose to interview the top 3 seniority ones yeah. And just completely negate all the other candidates. It's just mm-hmm. so disheartening.
0: In one unit I worked for um, when we were transferring within the unit. So part-time, full-time job share, uh, we weren't interviewed at all. We were just hired on the seniority basis. Wow. Yeah. I put in for, for a transfer positions once and the manager called me and said, you know, you're not the most senior one. So, you know, I'm sure more will come up in the future. Um, but it's, you know, it's not for for you right now. And I was like, not even going to interview us. <laughs> and I, I guess that that's their prerogative. So, yeah. and now that's worked out well for me as well, because there was a, a transfer I, I wanted and I was told I was the most senior and there was a job available. So I was able to get it, but, you know, I, I just, I don't know if it's always fair.
1: No. And I think seniority just like, it has this black cloud over it and it just instills like fear of leaving. Mm-hmm. Like if you're 20 years into a career and you've built up all this seniority, you get the vacation. And like vacation is a prime commodity in nursing, mm-hmm. right? You get what you requested off. You don't have to do switches. You don't have to figure it out. Like why would you leave? Right. Even if the workplace is toxic and even like that's the trade-off, right? Mm-hmm and and that's really sad because and there's fear after 20 years and built up seniority who wants to go start at 0 hours again and not get vacation and have to work all throughout the summer and christmas and
0: yeah. yeah well right now even people with that much seniority are getting denied vacation so they're going well what's the point you know like if i if i'm here this long and not particularly happy but because i have seniority um i i'm definitely not going to stay now you know, so there, yes and no, that you are definitely more likely to get it, but you may not get all of it.
1: Not right now. I. That was the first thing that, so that first research study that we did looking at palliative care and visitor restrictions, it was the first data collection set was just um, mid 2020. So the summer. So we've had like three months of the pandemic. Nurses at that point were already like, I need vacation. It's the only thing I'm holding onto and it's being denied. Like I need that for my mental health. Yeah, I cannot keep doing this. And then it was all taken away. Mm -hmm. And like, how long has that gone on for? Like what point from an ethics perspective, like does that become unethical of an institution to do that? We are screaming red about our mental health and how exhausted the profession is like that's your only answer is we're going to deal with these staffing issues by telling you, you can't take your vacation. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a big problem.
0: I don't know if you follow a nurse with signs, Yes, Nancy in Toronto. She's been posting a lot lately of um, employers asking nurses to give their vacation back and just all the vacancies yeah. and it's blowing my mind. Uh, I mean, I've been asked that a lot too. Like the very passive aggressive, do you still need vacation that Friday? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> Are you even, can you even ask me that?
1: No, yeah, I don't think they should be able to. No.
0: <laughs>
1: like I just, and there comes in that like subtle idea that like, well, the nurses will sacrifice their vacation because they're nurses. Like I, I hate that about like, and we're put in this position where, you have to say no. And not everyone has, um, the, the, the ability to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had someone say something to me once, and I think you'll find it really interesting. They, they brought up maybe changing the name of the profession because nursing is a very feminine name, you know, nursing a, a baby as a mother, a caretaker and whatnot. And it's not that respected, Um, because it is female dominated and are we not respected because it's female dominated and what's most associated with that is the word nurse and, you know, do we change it to healthcare provider or something? And that idea was from a man, a male, um, he's, he was a nurse or is a nurse, uh, retired now. And when he said that he was like, I think the name should be different and it blew my mind. So I'm curious to see what, uh, what you have to say about that.
1: Ooh, I mean, there is so much entrenched in the name nurse. Uh, it is such a matriarchal sort of thing that we've done. Um, and it does, it's so gendered and Mm -hmm. in just the word nursing, like it, it doesn't garner the same amount of respect. I don't think that like Healthcare provider would and that's just so socially healthcare professional yes I love that health care yeah. professional yes um yeah nursing as much as I'm so proud to be a nurse yeah and the opportunities that I've had in my career like I, that's not everyone's experience and like nursing when you speak about nursing it does have really sometimes negative connotations to it Yeah. Around like, yes, the public trusts us the most year in year in Canadians trust nurses the most. We know that. But do they respect us the most? That's different. Mm -hmm. And even in like union negotiations, like working in a unionized hospital as a nurse and working as a nursing professor. Night and day around negotiations really like, yes yeah, completely different um and, and like they're all bargaining like they all it's not bargaining isn't new <laughs> so what is it about nursing bargaining um and I think it's just the culture like it is women at that bargaining table that get yeah. taken advantage of or feel that they can't speak up for nursing and it's and I'm I need to get to
0: this table how do I get might, to the
1: table? <laughs> I know. And in, I'm not saying that everyone does that, but it's just the way that that institution is structured. The institution of bargaining makes women very vulnerable.
0: Mm-hmm. It needs to change.
1: Yes. Oh, does it ever, but maybe what's the your Christy, I'm going to ask you a question. Oh, okay. What's, what's your vision for like, what would your ideal nursing world look?
0: I think it would start with, I like the idea of the name change. I like the idea of being um, labeled as a professional, you know, healthcare professional. I do a lot more than, you know, just back rubs and and getting you bedpans, you know. So I like that. But I think, I think we need more autonomy. We need more flexibility. And we need to get rid of the old school m- mentality of, of nursing. We don't sacrifice. This is a job. I am, a, I am an adult, I'm a mom, I'm a friend, I'm a partner, I'm a homeowner and I have a life and I work at my job to enjoy my life. And, and it's not the other way around. You know, I don't have a work family, they are my colleagues, they're my peers, I respect them and I work well with them but I come right home afterwards. And I think with, you'll, you might see the shift in the mindset with the generational change is a lot of people in their, you know, mid to late thirties and younger view life that way. Yeah. And as we come up, we're going to be saying no a lot. And no, I'm not doing that. No, I won't be going to that train. I'm not going for testing unless you pay me. And you want to put me on leave? Sure. Great. I was denied my vacation this week anyways, (laughs) you know? So I I think they're going to see a huge shift and I think they're going to have to modernize and adapt to the times. And if they don't, they're not going to be able to retain or recruit staff.
1: Oh, that's such a good point about the generations. I love that. I remember I used this article to teach and it was um speaking about the differences in the generations of nurses because someone actually decided to research this. And I like, like that. the new generations, I know, right? Because yeah. the old generations they had this um institutional commitment. Like I will yes. I will stay with this institution for the duration of my career because i owe it to them they hired me Mm -hmm. right but these new generations um care more they do a lot of more more short-term planning uh they don't feel that their job is their life and i think that that's that's what we need in nursing we need that shift Mm -hmm. like nursing is a job and if you would have said that 10 years ago people would have gasped at you but isn't it a calling? No, it pays the bills. Yeah, like I love my job and I'm compassionate and I love like nursing, but it pays the bills. Exactly. I, yes, it really does.
0: And you know what? I also so I can sometimes come across as you know that I'm checked out of the profession just because I'm bringing awareness to all this. But I I'm not really. I love my job. I love what I do. I I love my specialty in wounds. Um, I love being a consult nurse. I I really have I'm passionate about my job, but I want to stay in my job, and I'm only going to be able to stay in my job if my emotional and mental health is taken care of, and if I can properly balance my home life with it, you know. And my priorities since when I started nursing, it really I I was definitely one of those people who showed up at six fifteen for a seven o'clock shift, and you know stayed late, and you know gotten little cliques and made friends on the units and things like that. And now I don't have the emotional energy for it on top of the pandemic. So, and I've had to learn to change that. And if I've learned that, imagine all the people who don't have to learn it and all, already feel that way. So, and you know, the, the person who comes in earlier and the person who stays an hour later, um, they're not paid anymore than the person who comes in on time and leaves on time your paychecks are the same you know because even if you stay that hour later that's looked upon as you not managing your time properly and you don't get overtime so why why do it you know but there are people who would stay you know an hour if not an two hours later almost every shift and make sure every i is dotted and every t is crossed but like and then you've probably got people at home waiting for you who don't get to see you that day and it, it costs relationships you know so the quality has to be focused on um if things are going to get better in the profession
1: I love that you raised charting oh my gosh staying the extra hour to chart and this idea that well the nurse just didn't manage her time properly that <laughs> drives yeah. me bananas
0: yeah like, it's always yes, your fault what what could you have done differently
1: <laughs> or like with staffing issues did you follow due process? What could you have done differently to address the staffing need? I called you and said, we were short staffed. Like what other due process <laughs> am I supposed to follow? <laughs> or it's like so not true. taking breaks. That drives like me trying, nuts. Yeah. Trying to put in overtime and having someone say, well, you know, how did you try to take your breaks? Did you, re- did you ask colleagues to help you? Did you follow due process? Cause if you didn't, I'm not paying for your overtime. No. And people are so scared of,
0: of not doing things properly. And then that gets me too. So an example with, um, with the charting system, right? So we use an electronic charting system that has a click and you could do everything from just clicking in the flow sheet. You don't have to write a long hand, note, unless in certain circumstances, you know, um, but I see all the time people are doing both because they're terrified they're so scared of missing something and getting caught and getting in trouble and I go what a waste of your time like mm-hmm. and some of the notes are are so unnecessary like patients slept all night okay great well you've you've put that they're asleep in your hourly rounding in the click box like it's <laughs> so it's fine you don't have to do that twice but they're it's inconsistent when they go from floor to floor to floor or educators change managers change whatnot That's inconsistent of what people think they should do. And they're just so scared of getting in trouble, but I'll, I, and I don't go through the notes and so many people don't go through your notes. They're going through your flow sheet. So just click the little box. It'll take you, you know, seconds opposed to sitting down and writing out a longhand note. It's just not necessary anymore. Yeah, there's,
1: oh, there's such a good, um, there's a paper on the death of the narrative. <laughs> oh, really? So good. Yeah. Oh, I uh, want to
0: read that. Can you send that to me? I'll link I it will. in the
1: bottom of the, uh, the podcast too. It's so good. Um, Death and of the narrative. you know, talks about, you know, what, what's at stake and why people cling to it so much. Um, and it's really interesting. They, they speak to physicians as well and why physicians really love the narrative note. And, and again, it comes down to time management. they, they don't want to click through a hundred different things when they could just read the nursing notes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and right. physicians like the, the narrative because they have voice to text. Yes. They have that program. So it's easy for them to just sit back and talk on their little microphone, but the nurses don't have that. And to be honest, like the physicians need to learn how to check the flow sheet. Yep. You know, they're grown ups too. Uh, this is another way. I'd love to see the, the profession grow is working more as a team and there's a lot of units that do this but there's a lot of units that don't and it's working as a team um with your your partners and the physicians and and what else and there's like there was one guy he handed me um he consulted me specifically to fax home care paperwork and i (laughs) and i went up to him and i said "I'm, i'm not your admin i'm not your clerk i'm a specialist and if you need a full assessment, I'd be happy to do it, but you can fill out your own paperwork. You went to med school, you're a grown up. figure it out. Like,
1: Good for you. Yeah,
0: not a chance. Are you kidding? And like, he learned very quickly, but, and I felt bad for him. I was, I was a little rude, but you know, this, they need to be more responsible for some of their work as well.
1: Yeah.
0: And they, and it, some of that stuff would take a bit of a load off of
1: nurses. Yeah. So much just the mm-hmm. administrative stuff. And we just, we just do it because we've always done it. Right. And then like, you probably weren't being rude. You were probably just saying, I don't do this. This isn't my job, (laughs) (laughs) which is totally fine to say, (laughs) but
0: there are people I know who would have, they would have done a full and that's not fair, you know? So anyways, we're at our hour. We have to have another talk though, because there's so much more to talk about. Oh, this was so much fun. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Oh, and thanks so much for just like talking about nursing. And and just before we go, you said like that maybe, you know, burnout or whatever. And that, you know, people might think that you're dissatisfied in your career and so you started this podcast. But I would totally say the opposite. Like, I'm so happy that you're doing this. This is work that needs to be done. Like we need to start talking about the issues in our profession and we need to start normalizing that we're allowed to talk about them.
0: Yes, exactly. We are allowed to talk about it. And it's been, um, it's been such a a topic that's been taboo in the past and it's, it's just not. not. Okay. Let's make it another day. We're going to talk more about burnout.
1: Oh, I love it. Yes.
0: Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Thanks. Bye.